Welcome back to Hire, everybody. The podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing us how to succeed in it. Because we've all been there, haven't we? It's time to get unstuck. It is time to make some change, goddammit. It's time to lead. And it's time to hit that funky beat, Nicky Simmons, go. Oh, yeah. You know, today I was just not in the mood. <laughs> Wait, so I don't have it open. No, no, there's nothing there. No banter, there's no, no nothing. Banter, yeah. But you know, the best part about this whole thing is that Matt Varsal, and I'm desperately hoping that I'm getting his name correctly, did a perfect introduction during the recording of this episode himself. So we did. He did. Yeah. And we went up the Eiffel Tower. So it was all very good. I know, you know. So let's just move it along, everybody. This is the Higher Higher Career Podcast. Exactly. Nothing to see. Follow us on Instagram. Go Higher Podcast. Thank you. One, two, three. You ready? Let's (laughs) go get us. (laughs) We've got Matt in the virtual studio. I mean, Nikki, you know, I still can't believe we're actually doing this. (laughs) I know. This one's going to be great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Um, Now, as usual, if our listeners have been here all the time listening to all of our guests, we ask you to go up a tall building giving us your elevator pitch. So I think we've been here before, but I think we're going to go to Paris up the Eiffel Tower. What do you reckon? (laughs) Can you give us your, your elevator pitch up the Eiffel Tower? Off you go. Well, I'm a little scared of heights, but you oh, know no, what? Don't know. I'm not going to be too worried today. Today, I am not scared of heights. I uh, <laughs> No, thank you guys for the opportunity. I am the pragmatic resume writer. I lean on being as logical and as straight and arrow as I can, uh, straight and arrow as I can when I write my resume. So that's how I like to be known for. But uh, I do own and operate a career coaching, resume writing, and interview training firm. Uh, in the North Carolina area in the States. And I, um, my blog is jobstickers.com, like pot stickers that everyone loves eating, <laughs> love uh, but jobstickers.com. So if you want to check me out afterwards, I do a daily post there as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's my, that's my 40 second pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I mean, that Eiffel Tower, that Eiffel Tower elevator is awfully fast. <laughs> <laughs> I got tickets, the speed tickets. You, you, you skip okay. lines or whatever. Okay. It's, for, it's easy for all of our European listeners. It's uh, it's EasyJet uh, Premium. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, in an excellent mood today because Matt's been making us laugh since the very beginning of our little mm-hmm. recording here. So I'm going to skim through this real quick. Obviously, dear audience members, um, you've been here before. We are extra sneaky. So we've asked Matt to withhold some of his most, some of his most prized possessions and as far as practical advice goes until the end of the episode, because we just love to have you here, you know, and we don't yeah. want you to exit ahead of time. So but let's head into this episode, which is fittingly entitled How to Leave a Job, because in our last talk with Carson um, Tate, we spoke about how not to leave a job, how to make a job that you feel uncomfortable in your own again, how to take the power back. But there's this moment where mm, it's really time to boogie. So that's why Matt is here to show us how to do this. So a bit of theory, Matt, and I want to talk about employability at the very beginning of this. So um, and what I'm about to say is new, and we read it all of the time. 
where previously we would change jobs or companies around three times in our lives, we now change careers three or four times in our lives. So question one, what does your experience tell you on this? Is that, you know, is that really true? And question number two, and without getting into all the technical details, how do you think career starters or those doing a career transition can mentally prepare for this really contemporary job market? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we have seen that uh, more active than not, you know, in terms of having folks that are transitioning and trying to constantly be figuring out what's their relevance in in this world, what's what's their place and what makes it relate to what they want to do. You know, where can they find their little room uh, where they don't feel like they're going to work every day, but someone's Mm -hmm. actually going to open up a checkbook and pay them to do something. That's Mm -hmm. the key. You know, that's the tricky part. And you know what? I personally maybe, you know, and I'm just shooting from the hip in terms of my research. I'm not someone who's a psychology kind of, you know, figuring out the consumer behavior and this kind of thing. Um, mine is just purely based off of, you know, we, we see with media and, and um, you know, with the social media and that kind of thing, you know, it's, a, it's almost like a microcosm now. Everybody's, the world's not as big as it used to be, right? Like, you don't get news from just the newspaper, like in, you know, 1890, mm. and you might hear about three stories a week. Uh, now it's three stories a minute. And I mean, we're just moving. Right. And so people can see what other people are doing and they can see, hey, this person's doing uh, creative writing. I always want to be a creative writer. Oh, OK, well, what's this person doing to get there? And the research, that type of stuff isn't isn't as uh, tedious as it once was. I remember growing up with encyclopedias still and the library was, was where you went to research. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So like. I think just the way the world functions, people are starting to understand, hey, I can do something that's not just dictated by what I chose as a 20 year old as my profession when I got out of school or got out of, you know, out of the trade or the military, whatever. Um, So uh, first and foremost, I think it's just it's easier to access ideas to what you can do and how you can get there, as well as access people that are decision makers in certain industries and pinging them for, and I'll talk about this later, but informational interviewing, you know, going and asking them what would it take to get to that spot. Um, Now, on the second part of that question, the the latter part, ways to get there, you know, I always tell my clients, first, you got to have a vision of what your dream job or role or passion is. They, They always say, you know, you're lucky. I think it's, and I don't want to butcher this statement, but it's essentially like, you know, there's a difference between a, a, a job, a career and a calling and the lucky mm-hmm. people find the calling and it's very few of them. Right. Um, I'm kind of in the middle where it's, it's a career, almost a calling, but at the same time, you know, I still kind of fumble around in my head where I have days where I'm not making any money and you get frustrated and you beat yourself up. So it comes with the territory. I think that's just me innately, but, um, and then you get people who are stuck in a job and they don't want to be there and it might be a bridge job or, or a matter of fact, kind of, this is what happened to me. And this is the job I got to take to provide for my family or whatever the situation is. So, Mm. um, but I always tell people, you know, internalize, visualize, and then realize. So internalize what you got going on, visualize some things that you might want to do, and then start to really put actions, plans of action in place. Um, you're not going to go anywhere by just researching and taking notes. You want to research, take some notes, and then do some sort of action every week towards that goal. So, you know, get the vision of the dream job. And I'll just kind of summarize it like that. Get the vision of dream job. Think of your job drivers. What's important to you? Is it time, money, benefits, investment stuff, location, product offerings, uh, the company's uh, image or culture or values? You know, do you want a remote job or, you know, you'd be working on passionate stuff. And then 
figure out, and each of this is different, right? For everybody. And then figure out what motivates you. What's your passion as it aligns with that and what's going to make you happy in two weeks or three months or a year. Um, that's that it, it's more about what you got to own on yourself initially mm-hmm. before you really start asking other people to help because you can't go at them assuming, you know, expecting them to know exactly where your thought process is. You got to, you got to kind of prepare and set the table, right? You don't want to come in hot. So do, do your due diligence first before you start bugging people. That is, hilarious. <laughs> that is absolutely hilarious because in the last episode, we also spoke about people expecting their managers to be mind readers, you know, mm-hmm. so even in-house, um, people feeling that they can't move in their career, they can't break through the concrete ceiling. It might just be as simple as, well, have you spoken about it? Which is <laughs> really interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this whole month good. is just full of, you know, conversations around empowerment. And I'm sensing a question from Nikki Simmons around <laughs> that topic. Yes, there is a question, but much you've kind of answered some of it so but i think we can go in a bit deeper and maybe a bit more pragmatic and kind of like giving concrete things for people to do or our listeners to do so we basically another area we love to talk about is is around mindset of self-empowerment um we've all experienced these moments where we felt helpless like you've just spoken about there and maybe you know you have to keep a job because you've got a family or you've all these things in your mind as well so many things going on even though you would love to do something else there's always these other things um so you're not maybe able to get to your dream career um how do you talk to your clients about this and what are the most common causes for people to feel like this as well um can you go in a bit deeper into that and maybe some practical without giving away all your secrets but some practical (laughs) tips for people to give to do like if they feel like this um if you know maybe their cv is not up to scratch or they're barking up the wrong tree maybe they're completely in the wrong you know company where it's not going to happen for them how do you how do you work on this with them absolutely well first um i'll I'll lead off from the kind of as existential macro level um, and just being personal about it, you know, when I got laid off when during the 2008 financial collapse mm-hmm. uh, in the United States, you know, I was a victim of a layoff in 09 and mm-hmm. I was a recruiter. Uh, I'd been a recruiter for about six years at that point. And, um, you know, and I had some personal stuff, you know, I was overweight I was, you know, hundred pounds heavier. I wasn't going to church as like I was when I, you know, before mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I moved from the East Coast of the United States to the West Coast, knew nobody. It was just me and my wife. And so didn't really have any uh, foundational, you know, in terms of friends. And, you know, it was just it, it was a bad place um, personally for me after the layoff where I didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden I'm, I got hit with anxiety and it just mm-hmm. like it was like a wave. I mean, it was like something I, I can't even wish on anybody. You know, it was just so severe and you know, you're talking weird thoughts constantly, you know, like I was, I was battling while there was only four seasons in the world. Like, I'm like, why is there only four seasons? This is crazy. Why is there five? Like, you know, and you're like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, you know, so that was awakening moment for me. I got on Weight Watchers and started going back to church and working out and, you know, really took care of myself. But at that point, 28 year old me, didn't think I was old enough to have to start do that. So the first and foremost thing is before you start talking career, how is yourself? Like look at yourself innately in, in your personal stuff and just figure out if there's something there that you needs to be changed. Because, you know, I always talk balance with my clients. And if you add something to the scale on one side, make sure the other side is not tipping too far mm-hmm. because um, especially as you get older, it's so driven subconsciously. It's so built in you that, 
if you're not eat, like if you go on vacation for a week and you eat McDonald's all week, you can tell you physically feel worse mm-hmm. than if you went through a week of chicken and, and asparagus and stuff. You know, like it's just that's how this this is all part of being human in nature. So take care of yourself first and foremost. So that's my existential thing. And, and because of that, I did I managed to defeat the anxiety. I still I still get it occasionally. Um, you know, you battle it during certain times in life, but it's much more manageable. And I know I'm on the right track by doing the good things that I'm that I do, um, you know, like volunteering and that kind of stuff. So first off, take care of yourself and know your know when you need to start making changes that aren't career related. Then the career stuff can actually piggyback off of that and work better to your advantage if you clean up your own house, if you clean up your own self. Um, your career stuff, it'll it will just it will pop more than it would have if you went in there um, kind of dragging yourself into work. Um, and what I say now to give actual strategies, that was the second part of your question is, and I love the pragmatic word, you know, be pragmatic about your j- daily job hunting activities. I always start off with that because mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense for you and them, the hire managers and recruiters, it's not, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. So no, first and foremost, we're still dealing with everyone's first pandemic. No one's ever done this before. Mm -hmm. So there's certain areas that are hiring certain areas that aren't hiring certain areas that have more needs than others. Just know that it's a little imbalanced right now in general, um, just workplace. I mean, not only that, the chief human resource officers of the world are battling how to understand, you know, remote management now. Now they have, you know, and then there's the DEI initiatives that are, are that are in the forefront now. You know, so there's a lot going on in HR and hiring in general. Mm. Just know that you don't have to be caught up in it. You just got to understand that it might not be as straight and narrow as it was and, and, and easily navigated as it might have been, you know, say, you know, three, four, five years ago. Now, also, moreover on that, be realistic in what you can achieve and you know, take some chances and risks. They're a good thing, but again, don't overstretch yourself. Don't lose that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a role that you might not be a fit for, maybe it'll be something down the road, right? So where, where do you want to live? What industry, what role? And be, be specific, clarify it, write it down, consume knowledge of that, and then start living it because the recruiters can't help you, nor will they want to if you come <laughs> in going, you know, I mean, if you come in going, oh, I could do everything. Well, no, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. want more niche, the better. The wider net you cast, the harder it is going to land a job you actually want to do in life. There's so much wonderful content in this because the sense of being overwhelmed, not only with a job that doesn't seem to fit right, but also the the inescapable dread of no longer understanding all that which moves and shakes the job market around you um, just because it has changed dramatically just as a matter of how society is progressing but then also specifically the times that we live in um, now where the where the the vortex of the pandemic you know where before it was the digital vortex now it's really the coronavirus um, vortex is changing everything which is why we, I love having you on this particular episode because you know, even if it's scary, um, every now and again, you will find yourself in a moment in your job, you know, when you know it's time to go and you just got to go. So uh, I think this has to do with taking baby steps and breaking it down for yourself. So it doesn't look like this inconquerable thing. And um, like I mentioned at the beginning, in our last episode, we spoke to our guest Carson about how essential it is to know who you are, what you're good at, what you want to be good at, and where you want your career to take you, which is a sentiment that you've just mirrored. But um, more specifically, we determined that your current job is actually a brilliant place to develop You know, this insight and possibly even keep this job. However, at times, we've done all the soul searching, 
and we just know we have to get out of here. So when that moment comes and the end is inevitable or you're faced with termination, um, what would you recommend our listeners do first? Like really, what is the like tangible, practical step number one? Step number one, figure out what skills and value you offer. Figure out where are you going to transfer those skills. And, and that's going to be the key to understanding exactly how you could either relate to the passion you want, the passion type stuff, or something that might have not been your linear path thus far. Maybe you're a teacher and now you want to go into um, learning and development. You want to do deal with more corporate stuff. Um, mm. So start to understand what skills transfer nicely, what value you're going to bring to the employer. Because again, if you don't have any value, um, you better start getting some so they at least have something to work with because not all these roles are going to be somebody that they're willing to train and kind of, you know, groom, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of times the challenges are figuring out what skills are exchangeable to what duties you might be performing. So think of those methodologies, those processes, the, 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 the technologies, um, the operational skills, all that stuff should blend into your portfolio, your, your skills, competencies, um, your, you know, your key contributions, all that kind of stuff. And then when you figure out just exactly, Hey, what am I good at? What do I need? What's my skills gap now? So if I'm good at three out of five things on this job, I really like go figure out how to get those other two skills. There's ways to get this stuff for free these days, especially hmm. since there's a ton of upskilling free stuff online now, which I've never seen this much. I mean, like Harvard's free right now. Harvard hmm. online's free. Like, I mean, you can, you can really build up some nice things while you're sitting there trying to figure out your job hunt and all that kind of stuff. So continuing education opportunities, um, maybe some credentials acquisition. If you got to grab a, 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 a Microsoft, you know, credential or whatever, if you're in a tech space, then you know, it's going to be important. Um, maybe go and get your degree, whatever, but start to think, how can you build skills first? Then, then you start the research. Once you start honing in on some things you really think you like to do now, start researching that field, that mm. job target, get into the, the, the glass doors and the indeeds and the salary.coms of the world, Google news, to figure out who's doing what, um, you know, as far as current events. Um, and you can really start to build mm -hmm. your ideal, this research for an ideal spot. Yeah, which, which yeah. is something we're going to get into um, in a second because you gave us this hysterical, this hysterical <laughs> idea. But on the, you know, th this is easier said than done, right? So figure out what skills you have and are they transferable are they not transferable based on your current job description is there an exercise that you have um you know your clients do by themselves maybe something really you know pragmatic um that our audience could try and emulate so is this writing down um a strength weaknesses list uh, is this something they can do with post-its visualization do you have a technique something that uh, is really practical for our listeners yeah so two things i always like to first uh do some scanning of some jobs you like and mm -hmm. highlight things you've done and, and highlight a different color, things you can't do. Mm -hmm. Also jump on LinkedIn, go to some folks that you admire or wish to aspire to be, or are like-minded as you that are in the same role and start looking at what is their path? What's their career path? What's their endorsements look like? You know, what kind of skills do they have under their profile and start to see truly which one's have the main priorities. So then you could start to figure out just what that is from a methodical standpoint. You know, what mm -hmm. is 
uh, what is, if I'm an IT and I want to be in a project management role for IT, go look at some IT project management uh, LinkedIn some, of some successful IT project managers and figure out just what they did to get to where they're at and what kind of skills they had, uh, you know, to, to kind of learn. So if they have Six Sigma, say they have Six Sigma and all these IT guys you like, these IT PMs, okay, well, maybe Six Sigma is pretty important. I better go figure out what this does. You know, so mm-hmm. that's the kind of things where you can really just use what's already out there at your disposal to start figuring it out. You don't, some of these personality tests and things, they don't get you far. I mean, some of them have helped um, mm-hmm. my clients, but it just depends on the person. Some of like, I've taken those things and it never helped me personally. <laughs> um, and to be quite honest, it really, cause it's just like, yeah, I know I'm an extrovert. Okay. Move on. Like, you know, like, so. Um, They're better you know, for like team building, I think. So people can know. Like rather than like, I think it's much better than than a job application. It's better for if your team goes through it together because then you know how to work together. Those things really work then, but I think they're really odd for a job application. I don't think they're, yeah, they're trying to fit people in rather than, yeah, into boxes basically, I think. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the other thing too, is, you know, there's associations out there. There's, you know, let's, let's just say you want to be a quality assurance person, go Mm -hmm. figure out where the quality assurance people, what associations they're in on, Mm -hmm. you know, or go figure out, um, you know, exactly what they're, again, what they're doing and what certifications they have or what, you know what I mean? Like everything is so transparent now, especially using LinkedIn as a tool mm-hmm. that it's, it, it's a no brainer to figure out exactly what things are being done by the people that are all in the same boat that you want to be in. And you just got to really think of it like, as, like, again, as logical as you can, there's mm-hmm. needs out there in the world. If you have a need that you can fulfill and make the lives easier for that employer, that hire manager, because you're on site and doing things there, find find a way to get to that point and and by doing that all starts with this kind of you know bird's eye macro level first skills mm-hmm. then start getting down to nitty gritty and by the end of your research you should be able to figure out okay what jobs do i need to start attacking so then my succession plan dictates you know a qa manager versus just a qa specialist mm-hmm. you know how am i going to get to qa management well start building out these little short-term goals and long-term goals and manifest it. Because if you start writing stuff out and living it and breathing it, stuff starts happening, man. It's weird, but it starts, mm-hmm. stuff start, you know, I mean, stuff starts happening. This brings it on to ne- the next point. Again, it's I've already talked a little bit about it, but <laughs> this is a funny, funny story that Tom was talking about how not to spray and pray. <laughs> we, ch- yeah. we chatted, we chatted last week just before we were coming on the show to figure out what we were going to talk about. And you had this idea of, of spraying and praying, right? <laughs> the idea of just right. shooting applications everywhere and hoping for the best. So can we elaborate on that a little bit? You have slightly gone into it there, but I think we can go a little bit deeper and and a bit more practical as well. Again, like we've already had our, okay, we've got our CV together. We know our skills, but then it can still be quite tempting just to throw your CV everywhere, right? So what are the skills to not do that, to avoid that and to try and make sure that we're a bit more honed in on the right jobs um especially when people are under pressure as well you know how do you well how do you work with your clients on that well and first off i'll say the spring and praying let's just be honest it's the easiest thing to do mm-hmm. um it's one of those things where i mean i get it we're <laughs> it's like we're not lazy but we are it's like we're kind of this <laughs> like spec- we're such a weird specimen as humans um, but it's like, maybe that day we're feeling pretty good. So, you know, Hey, yeah, you know, I'm not going to take the lazy route. I'm going to, I'm going to go talk to people today. I just have a feeling to talk to people. And then some days you just want to wake up and not deal with anybody. So you're like, I'm just going 
go on job boards. So, I mean, I get it, but that does not work purely based on a strategy standpoint because this is what this is how this works. There's there's certain hoops you got to jump through as an employer when you're putting out a job description. So, if you're a hiring manager, first thing you're going to do is go, okay, who do I know? Okay, I got I got a cousin that I've been wanting to get into a role. Uh, oh, I got that neighbor; he's pretty good. Let me interview that guy. So you're so you're gonna they're gonna first start off with who they know. Then they're gonna go to their uh, fellow managers and go and teammates and go. Who do you guys know? Who who's who's the outside that we can bring mm-hmm. in here, or who's internal? So they might go to their recruiters then as a third layer. Who do we have internal that can be promoted? You know, so you have these behind the scenes stuff, then only then if they've exhausted all that, they post it online. So you're talking about it's already been through three hoops and now it's the final hoop of which they hate because <laughs> hiring managers, trust me, and I'll talk about this later, but hiring managers, you know, they don't want to be looking at resumes. They have projects to complete. So resumes for them is an is a necessary evil. And that's why you gotta you gotta make sure you're mindful of them uh, the entire time during this process. So but again the pray and spray, uh, or spray and pray, excuse me. Um, the only way that'll work is if you just happen to find the right recruiter at the right time with the right role. And it does happen, but it's like, Hey, it is uncommon unless again, it all aligns perfectly with that, with, with you at that time. So, um, for lack of better words, I just feel like it's a little bit lazy. Um, I just say this, set up alerts, set up some job alerts on indeed, or LinkedIn, what have you. So when a new role is posted that matches with what you want to do, you can get in there early and apply. But that should be the only thing you're doing in terms of applying. You should not be scouring job boards every day, all day. Like you should be informational interviewing, getting in front of people and asking them questions and Mm. finding out what you need to know to satisfy whatever check, whatever box you're trying to check for that particular, um, you know, part of the job hunt. And you should be building it out like a strategy. You should have a schedule full of things to do every day uh, and make the job boards kind of like the necessary evil last thing you're going to be doing. And, and mm-hmm. it's really based off a numbers game because at that point, everyone's in bed trying to get in and it's like, okay, you're now you're up against 500 people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's horrendous. It's I'm, I'm loving these conversations so much to just really also uncover the psyche and um, the job profile of what recruiters are there to do, because we always hear about the six second rule, what have you. But as you say, they've got projects to complete. They are part of a, you know, of a large machinery, a big, you know, whether the organization is big or small with internal responsibilities that go beyond just, you know, reading your uh, motivation statement and your CV, which is why, you know, the CV and resume writing piece, obviously a very active component, which we're going to talk about in just a second, of the big, how visible are you for the job market question. But the first element that we would love to talk about here is, you know, the the, the power of the internet that is currently at everybody's dif- disposal. So, you know, imagine what you're finding yourself in this scenario. Um, we have more or less gotten over the shock of leaving a job and have a general plan as to who we are and where we want to be, right? So we've sorted all of this out for ourselves. So let's really get technical. Um, we know the active levers of getting a new job, right? So applying, networking, connecting, um, what uh, I think you called it um in, informative interview what did you say yeah, informational interviewing yep, yep. Into informational interviewing um but you know before we do all of these things we have to ensure that our backbone is strong you know and in, in case somebody decides to actually look us up and ideally unsolicited you know because why wouldn't we just want to have a job handed to us without having to apply so 
Um, and keep this short and tight. I wonder if you if, if that's possible because I personally am not the most succinct person. Um, <laughs> give us some of the pointers. Where and how should we show up if someone Googles our name? What are the most critical, say, you know, two or three places where you just have to have a strong presence? Yeah, well, LinkedIn's number one because for some way, somehow, it's like they, you know, I don't, you know, the Google algorithm in itself is an enigma uh, to mm. us, but um, LinkedIn's going to be your number one. If you don't have a personal website, let's say you're maybe a freelance designer. Uh, someone that would have a personal website, not to say you should go uh, incur that expense if it's not going to be helpful for you and your particular career. But um, outside of a personal website, LinkedIn should be number one. And then if you have like social medias like the link, the Twitters and the Facebooks and that kind of stuff, that's going to show up too on page one because obviously they're they're the biggest tech companies in the world. And so you got to be mindful. This is the old kind of, you know, this, this, this is the adage that we say, make sure you got a clean <laughs> reputation out there, right? Because it's going to show up on a Google search, whether you like it or not, they're not going to mm. bury Twitter on page four. Um, <laughs> so um, I would just say, keep your LinkedIn active and as filled out as possible. And also know that you should auto-populate every single part that auto-populates. So if, if you see your company start to pull up when you're writing it in, click it so it auto-populates. That way you're able to kind of use your profile against that LinkedIn recruiter software uh, mm -hmm. better. You'll be found easier if you mm -hmm. auto-populate everything. It's a little trick. Um, but also um, make sure that you're active so then that way the recruiters that are vetting you or or even sourcing you on LinkedIn can see, hey, this person's actually taken this job hunt pretty serious. Look at I see them chiming in on, you know, hiring managers at companies they want to work for or recruiters posts or whatever. Um, so be active and then yeah, clean up your social media. If you are living two lives, like like me, I live a uh, you know resume writer by day and then I do some acting and film production at night. Um, so you'll see me on Google. My first page is resumes and acting stuff. So. I'm fine with that because, you know, acting is a passion thing. Most people kind of get what that entails as just, you know, whenever mm -hmm. you can kind of get a gig, you take it. Um, mm -hmm. It's not really, I don't just walk into Hollywood going, okay, I feel <laughs> like moving. I feel like working today. Let's go. What do we got? Um, you know, so it's kind of like the powers that be control that more than, you know, I'd like. But um, but if you're in like, you know, if you're running some weird website or something and, you know, it's going to pop up because if you're not having much, um, you know, visibility out there, much of a footprint, any little thing's going to come up. So I would say the third thing is make sure if you have any sort of uh, private stuff going, like uh, side jobs, if you will, um, that aren't too savvy or, or professional, you know, in terms of from a hiring manager standpoint, make sure you kind of figure out that as well, that reputation management might be in, in place at that point. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you. We love that, right? <laughs> Um, reputation management. He's always saying he puts my name in the in the Google machine. Well, the next part is about our resume, which you're obviously very expert in. Um, but when we launched the show, our obvious first month was focused on recruitment. And I know we've talked a little bit about it already. We've gone into a few details. Um, and it's about time that we shed a bit more light on this craft of recruitment and what do recruiters do um, and how, how you find people. So from your box of experience, Matt, what do recruiters look for when they look at a candidate? I know you just look there. So they search Google, LinkedIn, but is there anything else that they look for? And what are the most 
common and easily avoidable other pitfalls apart from having a strange website that you might be running? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is the other thing where it's a small world. Once you dive into an, in any given industry, um, people know each other. So I had seen firsthand, if you do have a tarnished reputation in whatever industry you're in, um, most likely, if you're still applying to roles within that type of industry, especially at companies that are, you know, in the forefront, um, they're most times are going to figure that out, like what you why you're not working at a certain place, because hire managers, even if they're against each other and competitors with companies, a lot of them still talk to each other. You know, they're still in the same conferences mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And so um, or maybe, you know, maybe they came up in the union together. You know, I remember that what happened with me when I worked for John's Controls. I'd find some guys and I'd be like, oh, man, you know, I'm like, hey, I got I got somebody. And they're like, oh, we know him. That's why he's not working because he's, he's just some bad employee. <laughs> you know, so be mindful that the world shrinks pretty quickly if you uh, start to ruin your reputation in any given industry. Of course, not that's not the rule of thumb anyway. Some people get away with it, whatever. But yeah. um, so that would be like my first like hands on understanding of when I've seen someone discarded purely based off reputation um, in terms of like searches and stuff. Again, you know, social media, because recruiters, they're busybody. They're not going to spend an hour vetting you. I mean, they don't have time unless they're talking to you on the phone. Um, so if they're doing a lot of like research pre-calling or, or pre-vetting, if you will, um, it's going to be pretty quick. You know, what's on Facebook? What's on, you know, what, how's your LinkedIn looking? Um, if you're on Instagram, you know, what kind of posts, what pictures are you putting out there? Um, I had a guy recently, a, a client that did modeling photography. You know, he was taking pictures of like, you know, girls in bikinis and stuff. And he was like, I don't know if this is like legit out there. I was like, well, you might want to close that website down. I'm like, if you're not doing it anymore, what's the point of having it out there? You know? So, um, that kind of stuff was super easy for me to find, but based off of one search. So if I'm finding it, the recruiter's going to find it again. That's that kind of one-off website. If, or if you're like a model and you're on OnlyFans, you know, now there's OnlyFans thing. It's like, I don't even know how HR wraps their heads around that. Um, but you know I mean? Like, so know that once it's online, it's, it's on there for a while or, you know, figure out a way to get it off of there. Because if I'm able to find it, the recruiters will too, but know that this is not what they're doing all day either. You know, they got to move on. So, um, hopefully you're not getting, hopefully you're getting a chance to talk to them before they discount you. So it's horrendous though isn't it you know you sit there and you sit there and you send all of these applications hoping for the best and it just feels like it's such a um, disempowering experience you know because you're the victim of the forces that be so one of the ways um in which we can counteract this a little bit and it seems like it's a small thing but i actually think it's a very powerful step that is often missed is um research Right. So this is an area that most of us know we have to do before creating uh, our application packages. Um, But I think the fewest of us take it seriously or even know how to do it properly. It's essential that our applications are tailored to the job that we apply for every single time, a.k.a. look at the keywords from the job posting to, you know, beat the ATS, the applicant tracking system. And we call them the robots all the time. Um, But, you know, we believe that all of us have to do more and we have to dive deep deeper and to not only assess if we have a chance at getting the job, but also to ensure that the job and the company are even right for us. So the million dollar question, Matt, is how does one structure this research? You know, because it can feel quite overwhelming. You read through the company homepage and there's just so much content. How do you prepare sort of the the buckets that specific information should fall into that you have to have at the ready, either for the application or for the interview process? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and so I always say, 
first off, you you have to visit the company website, obviously, and get to know what the heck they do and where do they leave their mark in the world and in their industry. And also check out their, uh, um, uh, you know, like principles page, if you will, the, the, uh, uh, you know, their, their pillars, if you will, of what their beliefs are, Mm -hmm. because nine times out of 10, they're going to question you about those during the interview. They're going to want to know if you jive with what their beliefs are, right? So yeah. that's super important for them. Um, and then next, what I would do is I would say, when you're starting to prioritize your your kind of your hit list, you know, instead of just, again, applying every opening, start to really see it's, you know, it's not supposed to be a numbers game, right? That's the whole idea behind this, behind this statement is it's not supposed to be a numbers game. So find the match, find the right matches, and then start prioritizing and how you're going to research and then customize any sort of, you know, resume or, um, or, or how you're going to strategize with, mm. with trying to find the decision maker at those companies, you know, maybe you go on LinkedIn and start Try, like we said, informational interviewing. So structure it so you're not overwhelming yourself. But and then when you rinse and repeat, you just only then after you get through yeah. the actual, you know what I'm saying? Like actual mm-hmm. research and the actual contacting of people and the actual application stuff, then you go out and you do it again. So don't don't try to like shotgun this stuff, you know. And then also if when you're developing this strategy for job search, um, you know it goes back to what's the list of your career goals, right? Mm. What's your strengths? What's the brainstorming things you're going to do to figure out who is somebody you want to work for. And that's individualized. That's at anybody. What my ideal company is going to be different from what your ideal company that goes back to those job drivers. What, what motivates you? Mm. Um, then you start this to-do list, right? And, and and that's where you start researching, again, the company and the titles, the the job application slash resume. Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to create your personal brand, you know, for LinkedIn? You know, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to share? This stuff should resonate with the people that you're interested in being in the room with. If it's not, if you're talking about sports all the time on LinkedIn and, and you want to find a job that's, you know, in healthcare, um, you know, maybe keep the sports talk to Twitter or somewhere else and use LinkedIn just purely based for yeah. your knowledge of healthcare. What do you believe in and what are your principles or what are, what are your, you know, ideas of your role and how it might be improved or how you think this should be, you know, whatever laws are being passed and what's your, what's your two cents. So, and then you start networking. Um, that's the biggest thing is getting out there because if you stay introverted, you know, you're not planting the seeds that might be flour- that might flourish in say two, three months. It's all it's all an end game, right? So if you start informational interview mm-hmm. with somebody, then in hopes in a few months they'll actually want to help you. That's the goal because you gave them so much value, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what I was going to end with one of my things. So I'll kind of tighten it up right there. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah, it's, exactly. also, it's also perfect because it gives me the ability to do a shameless promo for uh, one of the episodes that we've done recently with our guest Melissa Campbell, who's a uh, professed and interestingly loud and proud um, person with an introverted energy profile who is specializing on uh, how to network and connect with people if you really don't feel like it sometimes. And it's a wonderful episode. So if you out there are among... Um, uh, if you're most on the introverted side of the spectrum, definitely be sure to um, have a look at this. What I love, Matt, before we conclude this episode with you, what you just said is, I hope that the people that have listened to this uh, all the way to the end have a sense of, you know, it's not because you are 
um, you know, lazy that you're not putting in the work for your applications to not be spray and pray, but actually have a chance to go through. It's because you're not assuming the full potential and power of all of these tools that are at your disposal to not only sort of uh, do an application, but to do an application. You know, this mm-hmm. is it's exciting. It's the research, it's the puzzling it all together. So I think it's a lot about mindset shift. And if you're sending an application with that energy, it just, you know, the universe is listening and you just have more chances of it going through. <laughs> So much content, so much information. I will have to listen to this even after I've edited the episode one more time. So we've given us so much to think about. Nikki Simmons, Matt, take us across the finish line. Yes, absolutely, Tom. I love how you brought in the universe there. We all believe in a bit of the universe taking over in some parts, right? Um, But literally, as we promised at the beginning, we're at that point that you stopped yourself briefly just there, giving away your probably one of your top tips. So it's time for the top tips. So we did talk about a lot during this episode. So we probably could have taken them all out of everything we spoke about. But can you give us three that people can take away straight away once they finish listening to this episode? Absolutely. So again, I piggybacked a little bit, but informational interviewing with mm-hmm. a purpose mm-hmm. and a transactional exchange of knowledge, meaning send these people insights, share their posts, chime in on their posts, do everything you can because there's someone on the other side of the computer who's either working at the company as a social media person or it's the hiring manager themselves or the recruiter themselves at those companies. So the more you can offer value that they see your name pop up and they're like, oh, this person is just you know wanting to pick my brain for a little bit and they're sending me some nice article links to things that are relevant to me, I'll let them pick my brain for a minute on Zoom for five minutes or what have you. So Hmm. start to build the relationships by initially giving them and not expecting to be receiving anything yet. Um, And again, a transactional exchange of knowledge is important there. And then uh, number two, link up with a recruiter and stay active and connected with them. I found all my contract gigs through recruiters. And it's so funny to me that a lot of my clients don't even think about recruiters. They're just kind of like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll send it. And then the recruiter calls me and then that's it. And they never even like keep tracks of these people, keep track records of these people. It's like, no, no, mm-hmm. no. Like recruiters work for free. Use them, but just don't abuse them. Don't annoy mm-hmm. them either. You know, a, a good rule of thumb is every month, tickle them, not every week. Um, if you have a new resume, send it over. It's another way to exchange information. Yeah. And moreover, um, anytime you're communicating with hiring managers or recruiters, Make sure instead of just having a jolly message of like, hey, thanks for your time, uh, great interview, or hey, thanks for spending some time with me, don't just keep it that. Always add a little bit of incentive for them to p- push you forward as a better candidate. So, mm-hmm. hey, thanks for the interview. Just want to reiterate again, your top three challenges in the role are this, this, and this. And I just want to reiterate that, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, resolve those types of challenges and improve the operations by this, this, and this. So always mm-hmm. kind of give them little quick insights as to why you're the good, you're good candidate. Uh, never leave a communication just for general thank yous. And then finally, the hiring process, it's lengthy and expensive. So be mindful of the other side of the table because if you're boiling it down and you think about your situation from the hiring manager's point of view, they are literally being pulled aside every day at the end of the workday to review resumes and fill an open requisition. And that thing is either costing them money for being open or it's not making them money because it's vacant. So mm-hmm. Know that it's a selective for a reason. It's time consuming because they got to source, they got to recruit, they got to interview, background checks, reference checks, drug tests, and then they got to train someone in hopes that they don't leave after like, you know, a month. Um, So 
they know it's important to get it right right away. So don't go in hot expecting the HR or recruiters owe you something. They mm-hmm. don't. This is hard work that what they do. Talent management's not easy and it's costly. Mm-hmm. So just be pragmatic on, on whenever you're in, in whenever you're presenting yourself or talking with somebody and be professional. Don't, you know what, half half butt conversations and, and just assume, hey, I'm, I'm a good candidate. They should be able to see that. It's like, no, no, no. Go in there as a professional and, and treat it like it like it's supposed to be a professional mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Thank I'm you. just I'm just letting on of this sort of ring and yes, echo in my you. head, you see. Um, Matt, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show with us and thank you for your many wisdoms. This was a treat. Oh, thanks, guys. Hey, anytime. I'll come. I'll come back in a year. We'll see how the the, the world's uh, uh, has adapted by then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. And for anybody out there still listening, all of Matt's contact information, the homepage, all of his presence is down in the show notes below. If you feel like you need a bit of a boost um, with your own career, with your own application journey, leaving a job, succeeding in a job, be sure to look him up. He is phenomenal. With that, let's go get it, everybody. Hey!